Chapter Eighteen, Part One of Adeline Mowbray, by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Eighteen, Part One. As soon as Adeline, languid and disappointed, was able to leave her room, Glenmurray, whom anxiety during her illness had rendered considerably weaker, urged her to let the marriage ceremony be performed immediately. But with her hopes of being a mother, vanished her wishes to become a wife and all her former reasons against marriage recurred in their full force. In vain did Glenmurray entreat her to keep her lately formed resolution. She still attributed his persuasions to generosity, and the heroic resolve of sacrificing his principles with the consistency of his character to her supposed good, and it was a point of honor with her to be as generous in return. Consequently, the subject was again dropped, nor was it likely to be soon renewed an anxiety of a more pressing nature disturbed their peace and engrossed their attention they had been three months at richmond and had incurred there a considerable debt and glenmurray not having sufficient money with him to discharge it drew upon his banker for half the half year's rents from his estate which he had just deposited in his hands when to his unspeakable astonishment he found that the house had stopped payment and that the principal partner was gone off with the deposits. Scarcely could the firm mind of Glenmurray support itself under this stroke. He looked forward to the certainty of passing the little remainder of his life, not only in pain but in poverty, and of seeing increase as fast as his wants the difficulty of supplying them, while the woman of his heart bent in increased agony over his restless couch, for he well knew that to raise money on his estate, or to anticipate the next half-year's rents, was impossible, as he had only a life interest in it, and, as he held the fatal letter in his hand, his frame shook with agitation. I could not have believed, cried Adeline, that the loss of any sum of money could have so violently affected you. Not the loss of my all, my support during the tedious scenes of illness. Your all? faltered out Adeline, and when she heard the true state of the case, she found her agitation equal that of Glenmurray and in hopeless anguish she leaned on the table beside him what is to be done said she till the next half-year's rents become due where can we procure money till the next half-year's rents become due replied he looking at her mournfully i shall not be distressed for money then no answered adeline not understanding him our expenses have never yet been more than that sum can supply glenmurray looked at her and seeing how unconscious she was of the certainty of the evil that awaited her had not the courage to distress her by explaining his meaning and she went on to ask him what steps he meant to take to raise money my only resource said he is dunning a near relation of mine who owes me three hundred pounds he is now i believe able to pay it he is in holland indeed at present but he is daily expected in england and will come to see me here i have named him to you before i believe his name is berrendale it was then agreed that Glenmurray should write to Mr. Berrendale immediately, and that to prevent the necessity of incurring a further debt for present provisions and necessaries, some of their books and linen should be sold. But week after week elapsed, and no letter was received from Mr. Berrendale. Glenmurray grew rapidly worse, and their landlord was clamorous for his rent. Advice from London also became necessary to quiet Adeline's mind, though Glenmurray knew that he was past cure and after she had paid a small sum to quiet the demands of the landlord for a while she had scarcely enough left 
to pay a physician however she sent for one recommended by dr norberry and by selling a writing-desk inlaid with silver which she valued because it was the gift of her father she raised money sufficient for the occasion doctor arrived but not to speak peace to the mind of adeline she saw though he did not absolutely say so that all chance of glenmurray's recovery was over and though with the sanguine feelings of nineteen she could hope though hope were lost when she watched the doctor's countenance as he turned from the bedside of glenmurray she felt the coldness of despair thrill through her frame and scarcely able to stand she followed him to the next room and awaited his orders with a sort of desperate tranquillity after prescribing alleviations of the ill beyond his power to cure the doctor added that terrible confirmation of the fears of an anxious affection let him have whatever he likes nothing can hurt him now and all your endeavors must be to make the remaining hours of his existence as comfortable as you can by every indulgence possible and indeed my dear madam he continued you must be prepared for the trial that awaits you prepared did you say cried adeline in the broken voice of tearless and almost frenzied sorrow oh god if he must die in mercy let me die with him if i have sinned here she fell on her knees surely surely the agony of this moment is atonement sufficient the doctor greatly affected raised her from the ground and conjured her for the sake of glenmurray and that she might not make his last hours miserable to bear her trial with more fortitude and can you talk of his last hours and yet expect me to be composed oh sir say but that there is one little little gleam of hope for me and i will be calm well replied the doctor i may be mistaken mr glenmurray is young and and here his voice faltered and he was unable to proceed for the expression of adeline's countenance changing as it instantly did from misery to joy joy of which he knew the fallacy which her eyes were intently fixed on him was too much for a man of any feeling to support and when she pressed his hand to the convulsive emotions of her gratitude he was forced to turn away his head to conceal the starting tear well i may be mistaken mr glenmurray is young adeline repeated again and again as his carriage drove off and she flew to glenmurray's bedside to impart him the satisfaction which he rejoiced to see her feel but in which he could not share her recovered security did not however last long the change in glenmurray grew every day more visible and to increase her distress they were forced to avoid disagreeable altercations to give the landlord a draft on mr berrendale for the sum due to him and removed to very humble lodgings in a closer part of the town here her misery was a little alleviated by the unexpected receipt of twenty pounds sent to glenmurray by a tenant who was in arrears to him which enabled adeline to procure glenmurray every thing that his capricious appetite required and at his earnest entreaty in order that she might sometimes venture to leave him lest her health should suffer she hired a nurse to assist her in her attendance upon him a hasty letter too was at length received from mr berrendale saying that he should very soon be in england and should hasten to richmond immediately on his landing the terror of wanting money therefore began to subside but day after day elapsed and mr berrendale came not and adeline being obliged to deny herself almost necessary sustenance that glenmurray's appetite might be tempted and his nurse 
by the indulgence of hers kept in good humor resolved presuming on the arrival of mr berrendale to write to dr norbury and solicit the loan of twenty pounds having done so she ceased to be alarmed though she found herself in possession of only three guineas to defray the probable expenses of the ensuing week and in somewhat less misery than usual she at the earnest entreaty of glenmurray set out to take a walk scarcely conscious what she did she strolled through the town and seeing some fine grapes at the window of a fruiterer she went in to ask the price of them knowing how welcome fruit was to the feverish palate of glenmurray while the shopman was weighing the grapes she saw a pineapple on the counter and felt a strong wish to carry it home as a more welcome present but with unspeakable disappointment she heard that the price of it was two guineas a sum which she could not think herself justified in expending in the present state of their finances even to please glenmurray especially as he had not expressed a wish for such an indulgence besides he liked grapes and as medicine neither of them could be effectual it was fortunate for adeline's feelings that she had not overheard what the mistress of the shop said to her maid as she left i should have asked another person only a guinea but as those sort of women never mind what they give i ask too and i dare say she will come back for it i have brought you some grapes cried adeline as she entered glenmurray's chamber and i would have brought you a pineapple but that it was too dear a pineapple said glenmurray languidly turning over the grapes and with a sort of distaste putting one of them in his mouth a pineapple i wish you had brought it with all my heart i protest that i feel as if i could eat a whole one well replied adeline if you would enjoy it so much you certainly ought to have it but the price my dear girl what was it only two guineas replied adeline forcing a smile two guineas exclaimed glenmurray no that is too much to give i would not indulge my appetite at such a rate but take away the grapes i can't eat them adeline disappointed removed them from his sight and to increase her vexation glenmurray was continually talking of pineapples and in a way that showed how strongly his diseased appetite wished to enjoy the gratification of eating one at last unable to bear to see him struggling with an ungratified wish she told him that she believed they could afford to buy the pineapple as she had written to borrow some money of dr norbury to he paid as soon as mr berrendale arrived in a moment the dull eye of glenmurray lightened up with expectation and he who in health was remarkable for self-denial and temperance scrupled not overcome by the influence of the fever which consumed him to gratify his palate at a rate the most extravagant adeline sighed as she contemplated this change effected by illness and promising to be back as soon as possible she proceeded to a shop to dispose of her lace veil the only ornament which she had retained and that not from vanity but because it concealed from the eye of curiosity the sorrow marked on her countenance but she knew a piece of muslin would do as well and for two guineas she sold a veil worth treble the sum but it was to give a minute's pleasure to glenmurray and that was enough for adeline in her way to the fruiterers she saw a crowd at the door of a mean-looking house and in the midst of it she beheld a mulatto woman the picture of sickness and despair supporting a young man who seemed ready to faint every moment but whom a rough-featured man regardless of his weakness was trying to force from the grasp of the unhappy woman 
while a mulatto boy known in richmond by the name of the tawny boy to whom adeline had often give halfpence in her walks was crying bitterly and hiding his face in the poor woman's apron adeline immediately pressed forward to inquire into the cause of a distress only too congenial to her feelings and as she did so the tawny boy looked up and knowing her immediately ran eagerly forward to meet her seeming though he did not speak to associate with her presence an idea of certain relief oh it is only a poor man replied an old woman in answer to adeline's inquiries who can't pay his debts and so they are dragging him to prison that's all they are dragging him to his death too cried the younger woman in a gentle accent for he is only just recovering from a bad fever and if he goes to jail the bad air will certainly kill him poor soul is that his wife asked adeline yes and my mamma said the tawny boy looking up in her face and she so ill and sorry yes unhappy creatures replied her informant and they have known great trouble and now just as they had got a little money together william fell ill and in his doctor's stuff savannah that's the mulatto's name has spent all the money she had earned as well as her husband's and now she is ill herself and i am sure william's going to jail will kill her and a hard-hearted wicked wretch mr davis is to arrest him that he is but not but what it is his due i cannot say but it is but poor souls he'll die and she'll die and then what will become of their poor little boy the tawny boy all this time was standing crying by adeline's side and had twisted his fingers in her gown while her heart sympathized most painfully in the anguish of the mulatto woman what is the amount of the sum for which he is taken up cried adeline oh trifling but mr davis owes him a grudge and so will not wait any longer it is in all only six pounds and he says if they will pay half he will wait for the rest and then he knows they could as well pay all as half adeline shocked at the knowledge of a distress which she was not able to remove was turning away as the woman said this when she felt that the little boy pulled her gown gently as if appealing to her generosity while a surly-looking man who was the creditor himself forcing a passage through the crowd said why bring him along and have done with it here is a fuss to make indeed about that idle dog and that ugly black bitch adeline till then had not recollected that she was a mulatto and this speech reflecting so brutally on her color a circumstance which made her an object of greater interest to adeline urged her to step forward to their joint relief with an almost irresistible impulse especially when another man reproached the fellow for his brutality and added that he knew them both to be hard-working deserving persons but to disappoint glenmurray of his promised pleasure was impossible and having put sixpence in the tawny boy's hand she was hastening to the fruiterers when the crowd who were following william and the mulatto to jail whither the bailiffs were dragging rather than leading him fell back to give air to the poor man who had fainted on savannah's shoulder and seemed to the point of expiring while she with an expression of fixed despair was gazing on his wan cheek adeline thought on glenmurray's danger and shuddered as she beheld the scene she felt it but too probable anticipation of the one in which she might soon be an actor at this moment a man observed if he goes to prison he will not live two days that every one may see and the mulatto uttered a shriek of agony adeline felt it to her very soul 
and rushing forward sir sir she exclaimed to the unfeeling creditor if i were to give you a guinea now and promise you two more a fortnight hence would you release this poor man for the present no i must have three guineas this moment replied he adeline sighed and withdrew her hand from her pocket but were glenmurray here he would give up his own indulgence i am sure to save the lives of probably two fellow-creatures thought adeline and he would not forgive me if i were to sacrifice such an opportunity to the sole gratification of his palate but then again glenmurray eagerly expecting her with the promised treat so gratifying to the feverish taste of sickness seemed to appear before her and she turned away but the eyes of the mulatto who had heard her words and had hung on them breathlessly with expectation followed her with a look of such sad reproach for the disappointment which she had occasioned her and the little boy looked up so wistfully in her face crying poor fader and poor mamma that adeline could not withstand the force of the appeal but almost exclaiming glenmurray would unbraid me if i did not act thus she gave the creditor the three guineas paid the bailiffs their demand and then made her way through the crowd who respectfully drew back to give her room to pass saying god bless you lady god bless you but william was too ill and savannah felt too much to speak and the surly creditor said sneeringly if i had been you i would at least have thanked the lady this reproach restored savannah to the use of speech and but with a violent effort she uttered in a hoarse and broken voice i tank her god tank her i never can and adeline kindly pressing her hand hurried away from her in silence though scarcely able to refrain exclaiming you know not the sacrifice which you have cost me the tawny boy still followed her as loath to leave her god bless you my dear she said kindly to him there go to your mother and be good to her his dark face glowed as she spoke to him and holding up his chin tis me cried he poor tawny boy love you she did so and then reluctantly he left her nodding his head and saying good-bye till he was out of sight with him and with the display of his grateful joy vanished all that could give adeline resolution to bear her own reflections at the idea of returning home and of the trial that awaited her in vain did she now try to believe that glenmurray would applaud what she had done he was now the slave of disease nor was it likely that even his self-denial and principled benevolence could endure with patience so cruel a disappointment and from the woman whom he loved too and to whom the indulgence of his slightest wishes ought to have been the first object what shall i do cried she what will he say no doubt he is impatiently expecting me and in his weak state disappointment may here unable to bear her apprehensions she wrung her hands in agony and when she arrived in sight of her lodgings she dared not look up lest she should see glenmurray at the window watching for her return slowly and fearfully did she open the door and the first sound she heard was glenmurray's voice from the door of his room saying so you are come at last i have been so impatient and indeed he had risen and dressed himself that he might enjoy his treat more than he could do in a sick bed how can i bear to look him in the face thought adeline lingering on the stairs adeline my love why do you make me wait so long cried glenmurray here are knives and plates ready where is the treat i have been so long expecting 
adeline entered the room and threw herself on the first chair avoiding the sight of glenmurray whose countenance as she hastily glanced her eyes over it was animated with the expectation of a pleasure which he was not to enjoy i have not brought the pineapple she faintly articulated no replied glenmurray how hard upon me the only thing for weeks that i have wished for or could have eaten with pleasure i suppose you were so long going that it was disposed of before you got there no replied adeline struggling with her tears at this first instance of pettishness in glenmurray pardon me the supposition replied glenmurray recovering himself more likely you met with some dun on the road and so the two guineas were disposed of another way if so i can't blame you what say you am i right no then how was it gravely asked glenmurray you must have had a very powerful and sufficient reason to induce you to disappoint a poor invalid of the indulgence which you had yourself excited him to wish for this is terrible indeed thought adeline and never was i so tempted to tell a falsehood still silent you are very unkind miss mowbray said glenmurray i see that i have tired even you out these words by the agony which they excited restored to adeline all her resolution she clasped his burning hands in hers and as succinctly as possible she related what had passed when she had finished glenmurray was silent and fretfulness of disease prompted him to say so then to the relief of strangers you sacrificed the gratification of the man whom you love and deprived him of the only pleasure he may live to enjoy but the habitual sweetness and generosity of his temper struggled and struggled effectually with his malady and while adeline pale and trembling awaited her sentence he caught her suddenly to his bosom and held her there a few moments in silence then you forgive me faltered out adeline forgive you i love and admire you more than ever i know your heart adeline and i am convinced that depriving yourself of the delight of giving me the promised treat in order to do a benevolent action was an effort of virtue of the highest order and never i trust have you known or will you know again such bitter feelings as you this moment experienced adeline gratified by his generous kindness and charmed with his praise could only weep her thanks and now said glenmurray laughing you may bring back the grapes i am not like stern's dear jenny if i cannot get pineapple i will not insist on eating crab the grapes were brought but in vain did he try to eat them at this time however he did not send them away without highly commending their favor and wishing that he dared give way to his inclinations and feast upon them o oh, god of mercy cried adeline bursting into an agony of grief as she reached her own apartment and throwing herself on her knees by the bedside must that benevolent being be taken from me forever and must i must i survive him she continued for some minutes in this attitude and with her heart devoutly raised to heaven till every feeling yielded to resignation and she rose calm if not contented when on turning around she saw glenmurray leaning against the door and gazing on her sweet enthusiast cried he smiling so thus when you are distressed you seek consolation i do she replied skeptic wouldst thou wish to deprive me of it no by heaven warmly exclaimed glenmurray an evening passed more cheerfully than usual the next post brought a letter not from dr norbury but from his wife it was as follows and contained three pound notes mrs norbury's compliments to miss mowbray 
having opened her letter poor dr norberry being dangerously ill of a fever find her distress of which shall not inform the doctor as he feels so much for his friend's misfortunes specially when brought on by misconduct but out of respect for your mother who is a good sort of woman though rather particular as all learned ladies are have sent three pound notes the miss norberrys giving one apiece not to lend but a gift and they join mrs norberry in hoping miss mowbray will soon see the error of her ways and if so be no doubt dr norberry will use his interest to get her into the magdalen this curious epistle would have excited in glenmurray and adeline no other feelings save those of contempt but for the information it contained of the doctor's being dangerously ill and in fear for the worthy husband they forgot the impertinence of the wife and daughters the next day fortunately mr berrendale arrived and with him the three hundred pounds consequently all glenmurray's debts were discharged better lodgings procured and the three pound notes returned in a blank cover to mrs norberry charles berrendale was first cousin to glenmurray and so like him in face that they were at first mistaken for brothers but to a physiognomist they must have always been unlike as glenmurray was remarkable for the character and expression of his countenance and berrendale for the extreme beauty of his features and complexion glenmurray was pale and thin and his eyes and hair dark berrendale's eyes were of a light blue and though his eyelashes were black his hair was of a rich auburn glenmurray was thin and muscular berrendale round and corpulent still they were alike and it was not ill observed of them that berrendale was glenmurray in good health but berrendale could not be flattered by the resemblance as his face and person were so truly what is called handsome that partial as our sex is to be to beauty any woman would have been excused for falling in love with him whether his mind was equal to his person we shall show hereafter the meeting between berrendale and glenmurray was affectionate on both sides but berrendale could scarcely hide the pain he felt on seeing the situation of glenmurray whose virtues he had always loved whose talents he had always respected and to whose active friendship towards him he owed eternal gratitude but he soon learnt to think glenmurray in one respect an object of envy when he beheld the constant skilful and tender attentions of his nurse and saw in that nurse every gift of heart mind and person which could make a woman amiable berrendale had heard that his eccentric cousin was living with a girl as odd as himself who thought herself a genius and pretended to universal knowledge great then was his astonishment to find this imagined pendant and pretender not only an adept in every useful and feminine pursuit but modest in her demeanour and gentle in her manners little did he expect to see her capable of serving the table of glenmurray with dishes made by herself not only tempting to the now craving appetite of the invalid but to the palate of an epicure while all his wants were anticipated by her anxious attention and many of the sufferings of sickness alleviated by her inventive care adeline meanwhile was agreeably surprised to see the good effect produced on glenmurray's spirits and even his health by the arrival of his cousin and her manner became even affectionate to berrendale from gratitude for the change which his presence seemed to have occasioned adeline had now a companion in her occasional walks 
glenmurray insisted on her walking and insisted on berrendale's accompanying her in these tete-a-tetes adeline unburthened her heart by telling berrendale of the agony she felt at the idea of losing glenmurray and while drowned in tears she leaned on his arm she unconsciously suffered him to press the hand that leaned against him nor would she have felt it a freedom to be reproved that she had been conscious that he did so but these trifling indulgences were fuel to the flame that she had kindled in the heart of berrendale a flame which he saw no guilt in indulging as he looked on glenmurray's death as certain and adeline would then be free but though adeline was perfectly unconscious of his attachment glenmurray had seen it even before berrendale himself discovered it and he only waited a favorable opportunity to make the discovery known to the parties all he had as yet ventured to say was charles my adeline is an excellent nurse you would like such a one during your fits of the gout and berrendale had blushed deeply while he assented to glenmurray's remarks because he was conscious that while enumerating adeline's perfections he had figured her to himself warming his flannels and leaning tenderly over his gouty couch one day while adeline was reading to glenmurray and berrendale was attending not to what she was reading but to the beauty of her mouth while reading the nurse came in and said that a mulatto woman wished to speak to miss mowbray show her up immediately cried glenmurray and if her little boy is with her let him come too in vain did adeline expostulate glenmurray wished to enjoy the mulatto's expressions of gratitude and in spite of all she could say the mother and child were introduced so cried the mulatto whose looks were so improved that adeline scarcely knew her again so me find you at last and please god we not soon part more as she said this she pressed the hem of adeline's gown to her lips with fervent emotion not part from her again cried glenmurray what do you mean my good woman oh when she gave three guineas for me me thought she must be rich lady but now they say she be poor and me must work for her and who told you i was poor dat cross man where you live once he say you could not pay him and you go away and he tell me dat you love be ill and me so sorry yet so glad for my love be well aden and he have not good employ and now i can come and serve you and nurse dis poor gentleman and all for nothing but my meat and drink and i know dat great fat nurse have gold wages and eat and drink fat beside i knowed her well all this was uttered with great volubility and in a tone between laughing and crying well adeline said glenmurray when she had ended you did not throw away your kindness on an unworthy and ungrateful object so i am quite reconciled to the loss of the pineapple and i will tell your honest friend here the story to show her as she has a tender heart herself the greatness of the sacrifice you made for her sake adeline begged him to desist but he went on and the mulatto could not keep herself quiet on her chair while he related the circumstance and did she do dat to save me she passionately exclaimed angel woman i should have let poor man go to prison before disappointing my william and did you forgive her immediately said berrendale yes certainly well that was heroic too returned he and no one but glenmurray would have been so heroic i believe said adeline but lady you break my heart cried the mulatto if you not take my service my william and me too poor to live together for some year perhaps here child tawny boy down on knees and vow with me to be faithful and grateful 
to this our mistress till our last day and never to forsake her in sickness or in sorrow i swear dis to my great god and now say dat after me she then clasped the little boy's hands bade him to raise his eyes to heaven and made him repeat what she had said ending with i swear dis to my great god there was such an affecting solemnity in this action and in the mulatto such a determined enthusiasm of manner incapable of being controlled that adeline glenmurray and berrendale observed what passed in respectful silence and when it was over glenmurray said in a voice of emotion i think adeline we must accept this good creature's offer and as nurse grows lazy and saucy we had better part with her as for your young knight there the tawny boy had by this time nestled himself close to adeline who with no small emotion was playing with his woolly curls we must send him to school for my good woman we are not so poor as you imagine god be thanked cried the mulatto but what is your name i was christened savannah replied she then good savannah cried adeline i hope we shall have reason to bless the day when first we met and to-morrow you shall come home to us savannah on hearing this almost screamed with joy and as she took her leave berrendale slipped a guinea into her hand the tawny boy meanwhile slowly followed his mother as if unwilling to leave adeline even though she gave him half-pence to spend in cakes but on being told that she would let him come again the next day he tripped gaily down after savannah the quiet of the chamber being then restored glenmurray fell into a calm slumber adeline took up her work and berrendale pretending to read continued to feed his passion by gazing on the unconscious adeline while they were thus engaged glenmurray unobserved awoke and he soon guessed how berrendale's eyes were employed as the book which he held in his hand was upside down and through the fingers of the hand which he held before his face he saw his looks fixed on adeline the moment was a favorable one for glenmurray's purpose and just as he raised himself from his pillow adeline had discovered the earnest gaze of berrendale and a suspicion of the truth that instant darting across her mind disconcerted and blushing she had cast her eyes on the ground that is an interesting study which you are engaged in charles cried glenmurray smiling berrendale started and deeply blushing faltered out yes adeline looked at glenmurray and seeing a very arch and meaning expression on his countenance suspected that he had made the same discovery as herself yet if so she wondered at his looking so pleasantly on berrendale as he spoke it is a book charles continued glenmurray which the more you study the more you will admire and i wish to give you a clue to understand some passages in it better than you can now do this speech deceived adeline and made her suppose that glenmurray really alluded to the book which lay before berrendale but it convinced him that glenmurray spoke metaphorically and as his manner was kind it also made him think that he saw and did not disprove his attachment for a few minutes each of them being engrossed in different contemplations there was a complete silence but glenmurray interrupted it by saying my dear adeline it is your hour for walking but as i am not disposed to sleep again will you forgive me if i keep your walking companion to myself to-day i wish to converse with him alone oh most cheerfully she replied with quickness you know i love a solitary ramble of all things not very flattering that to my cousin observed glenmurray i did not wish to flatter him said adeline gravely and berrendale 
fluttered to the idea of the coming conversation with glenmurray and mortified by adeline's words and manner turned to the window to conceal his emotion adeline then with more than usual tenderness conjured glenmurray not to talk too much nor do anything to destroy the hopes on which her only chance of happiness depended vis-a-vis -vis the now possible chance of his recovery and then set out for her walk while with a restraint and coldness which she could not conquer she bade berrendale farewell for the present the walk was long and her thoughts perturbed what could glenmurray want to say to mr berrendale why did mr berrendale sit with his eyes so intently and clandestinely as it were fixed on me were thoughts perpetually recurring to her and half impatient and half reluctant she at length returned to her lodgings when she entered the apartment she saw signs of great emotions on the countenance of both the gentlemen and in berrendale's eyes the traces of recent tears the tone of glenmurray's voice too when he addressed her was even more tender than usual and berrendale's attentions were marked yet more respectful and adeline observed that glenmurray was unusually thoughtful and absent and that the cough and other symptoms of his complaint were more troublesome than ever i see you have exerted yourself and talked too much during my absence cried adeline i will never leave you again for so long a time you never shall said glenmurray i must leave you for so long a time at last that i will be blessed with the sight of you as long as i can adeline whose hopes had been considerably revived during the last few days looked mournfully and reproachfully in his face as he uttered these words it is even so my dearest girl continued glenmurray and i say this to guard you against a melancholy surprise i wish to prepare you for an event which to me seems unavoidable prepare me exclaimed adeline wildly can there be any preparation to enable one to bear such a calamity absurd idea however i shall derive consolation from the severity of the stroke i feel that i shall not be able to survive it so saying her head fell on glenmurray's pillow and for some time her sorrow almost suspended the consciousness of the suffering from this state she was aroused by glenmurray's being attacked with a violent paroxysm of his complaint and all selfish distress was lost in the consciousness of his sufferings again he struggled through and seemed so relieved by the effort that again adeline's hopes revived and she could scarcely return with temper berrendale's good-night when glenmurray expressed a wish to rest because his spirits had not risen in any proportion to hers the nurse had been dismissed that afternoon and adeline as savannah was not to come home till the morning was to sit up alone with glenmurray that night and contrary to his usual custom he did not insist that she should have a companion for a few hours his exhausted frame was recruited by a sleep more than usually quiet and but for a few hours only he then became restless and so wakeful and disturbed that he professed to adeline an utter inability to sleep and therefore he wished to pass the rest of the night in serious conversation with her adeline alarmed at this intention conjured him not to irritate his complaint by so dangerous an exertion my mind will irritate it more replied he if i refrain from it for it is burthened my adeline and it longs to throw off its burthen now then ere my senses wander hear what i wish to communicate to you and interrupt me as little as possible adeline oppressed and awed beyond measure at the unusual solemnity of his manner made no answer 
but leaning her cheek on his hand awaited his communication in silence i think said glenmurray i shall begin with telling you berrendale's history it is proper that you should know all that concerns him adeline raising her head replied hastily not to satisfy any curiosity of mine for i feel none i assure you well then returned glenmurray sighing to please me be it end of chapter eighteen part one recording by pam Moscato.